You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. It is always nice when we have an organization on that is right in our backyard. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And even though this is a, a local organization, it boasts really great importance on a national level as it uh, helps protect one of our, our local national tre- treasures. And we're really lucky to live by it. But before we get started, Fran, I don't know how we're going to do this after that lunch. <laughs> yeah, you know, on we just there, we had a a, a baby shower today for mm. for one of our coworkers that's mm. having twins, and I was just saying that the cake pushed me over the edge. Yeah, I, yeah. I really wanted I a nap. I should have had that last cookie. That was... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I was good after the cookies. You know, the yeah. cookies. I kind of feel like I was drowning. And I had one arm sticking out of the water, and someone put like a five pound weight in it. Yeah, like that. Yeah, just that, the, that little bit that just did you in. Yeah, like I, I we're was, gonna persevere. We'll be okay. We'll make it. I, we'll make it through. I, I, you may have to like snap your fingers <laughs> and like <laughs> wake me up, keep my energy yeah. flowing. But uh, I thought we'd do a little housekeeping. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so we still have not heard back from Care Bear eleven twenty two. From your Apple review, you did win a copy of Dr. Enrique Salas' book, The Nature of Nature. Mm-hmm. So please uh, contact us. Uh, there's a couple different ways on our website, or, or you can email us at info at nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, uh, you can call our question and answer line, which is 215-346-6189. We'd love to get you a copy of the book, so please contact us. Um, and I, I want to thank everyone that's been throwing five-star reviews mm-hmm. our way. Uh, we're really excited about that. Keep them coming. Um, we've also gotten great feedback from our Facebook group about the book episode, yeah. The Buzz. Yep. That was – now you know what it's called. We didn't even know what it was yeah. called till like the day before, <laughs> yeah. but The Buzz. Um, we've gotten great feedback, um, and we want to review some of the book selections that, that people have thrown at us. You want to do it on the next Yeah, let's we'll do it on the next episode just – We'll keep some consistency. We'll keep the buzz, the buzz, and then. All right, great. Yeah, this but is this. but thank you if you have more book suggestions for us. Keep throwing them because the conversation was really great. I was yeah. like, oh, I forgot about that book, and we should have mentioned that book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> yep. it was great. And so. we even found that there was books that, well, if you go into like identification guides and just um, how to books and those kind of things, we didn't even touch on all no, of that. It no, was, um, that it, was. We might have to do another one where we revisit those kind of books. Yeah. <laughs> things that really help us when we're in the field identifying stuff or, or figuring out what things are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on a different topic, it was a very nice surprise today. I mean, we had the, the baby shower, but I got to see your, your new baby. Yeah. So. He made his first, uh, I guess, bigger public appearance. He hasn't really been out much. Wow. He looks great. Yeah. Great yeah, faces. He's, he's grown really big. He's very demonstrative with his faces <laughs> yeah he's he has uh, great he, overall he's like really really good he barely awesome. cries it's like he sleeps nine to ten hours a night there's n- almost no complaints oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah so fatherhood's <laughs> treating everyone well yeah it's been your wife look it's great been everyone easy. Look good. it's yeah. like it's he's the kind of kid that makes you think you could have like six Oh, you, you know what? I don't, I don't think that's going to be the listen, case. But. Uh, listen, I have to say, I fell for that trap. Yeah. <laughs> and the second one was not like the first one. Yeah. I'm not discouraging you. I'm just saying two completely yeah. different babies. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's what I figure will probably have. Even you look at my brother and I, it's we're yeah. two completely different people, I, let I, alone babies. I will say so. I stopped at two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that was before two i wasn't sure how many i wanted to have after the second one i was sure i wanted to have two yep yeah (laughs) but anyway getting into today's guests uh we alluded to it a little bit and it's actually part of the namesake of our company uh is the new jersey pinelands and um that's how we got the name pinelands nursery and uh it really for those that don't know a large section of uh really just new jersey as a whole but definitely south jersey is something called the New Jersey Pinelands, New Jersey Pine Barrens. And um, it's really the largest remaining example of that Atlantic coastal pine barren ecosystem. Um, and it stretches across seven counties in New Jersey. And it's uh, a size of over a million acres. Um, and it's all preserved. Or I shouldn't say all preserved, but a lot of it is preserved. And um, so we really probably had have these guests on the top of our list. And it's a long overdue episode to have them on. Yeah. So I don't want to take too much time away from them. So Ryan and Carlton, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and then tell us a little bit about the organization that you guys work for. Sure. I'm Ryan Rebozo. I'm the director of conservation science at the Pinelands Preservation Alliance. And I'm Carlton Montgomery. I'm the executive director at the Pinelands Preservation Alliance. Oh, we, we couldn't be more pleased to have the two of you yeah. on with us today. Thank you so much. And like Tom said, we had been talking. You were one of the first guests we wanted to have on, mm-hmm. and we just happened to start the podcast pretty much right at the beginning of COVID-19. Yeah. So it, and, and really, on our decision-making on our part, is there was people we wanted to have come in. There was people that um, were a little bit further away. We were going to be harder to get them into our studio. And we figured, well, you guys are right down the road. So we definitely want to come here. So we kind of kept pushing it off and pushing off. Now we're at a point where I don't know when we're going to have people in the studio again. So, And it's a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one of the things. Well, thanks for having us. We're always happy to speak with you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, for 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 our listeners outside of, of this area or outside of a Pine Barrens area, when one hears the word Barrens, I, I think it's easy for someone to assume that the area is void of plant diversity. When, in all actuality, it's the exact opposite. Um, what would you say are some of the unique features that that would describe or thrive in 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 our New Jersey pine barrens? Uh, yeah, you're right, Brandon, saying that. Uh, you know, contrary to the name, we really do have an impressive diversity of species in this region, um, and and it really is distinct from other ecoregions in the state, namely that. The soil conditions are pretty different. I mean, in some of our upland areas, we have up to 90% sand that makes up our soil and and, very nutrient poor on average and also very acidic. So these are pretty stressful conditions for a lot of species, uh, but certainly the ones that are native to this region thrive here. Um, You know, another piece to that dynamic, too, is the fact that it's... uh, disturbance prone system um there's you know all forms of natural disturbance that occur here but but really when you talk about disturbance in south jersey it's really fire so fire plays an important role in in what can survive and thrive here um so with all those kind of stressful conditions for plants we still have over 580 species of vascular plants in the pine barrens um most of those on the order of about 380 or so are what we would call pine barren species or pine barren endemics so we wouldn't expect to see them in other ecotypes okay um 
but they do occur in the pine barrens and other pine barren type habitats. Wow, wow. You know, I think, it, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Let's say, you're thinking about that term, pine barrens, it, it, it tells a, a story in and of itself. It's a term that early European colonists adopted because they perceived those sandy soils to be barren in terms of their ability to support traditional agricultural endeavors that they brought with them. And you really see how that um, fact shapes the landscape even today, where soils that were good enough to support upland agriculture, row crop type agriculture, were cleared hundreds of years ago and, yeah. and remain cleared either as farms or today as subdivisions and shopping malls. Whereas when the soil changes to your classic highly sandy, highly acidic, droughty, nutrient-poor pine barren soil, uh, the trees are still there. They've, yeah. They were exploited and cut, but they've come back. And you see these very clear demarcations that reflect uh, the way we use the landscape. And it's it's the the plants here are very adaptable. I'm glad that that the two of you actually brought up the word disturbance because people think you don't want to disturb these areas, but they they actually somewhat thrive on some disturbance, like you mentioned fire, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what we describe them as would be uh, disturbance adapted. They have adaptations that allow them to persist in an area or a region that burns with some regularity. So, um, if you exclude that disturbance or if that disturbance doesn't happen at the same scale or frequency in which it did historically, then over time you can expect to see changes in species composition as a result. You know, and for and, and please correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but for our listeners outside the area who don't know, like uh, the pitch pine, the those cones won't open uh, to re- release a seed unless you know, typically unless there there's fire mm-hmm. um, for regenerative purposes or and I believe like Blackjack oak actually grows a lot smaller in the Pine Barrens uh, because of fire than it would than you would find somewhere outside in another part of the country. Yeah, a fraction of the pitch pine cones are what we call serotonous, and that's exactly what you described. Um, they won't open until uh, a fire comes through the system. Hmm. Um, the other remaining cones will open up as they mature. But the ratio between those that open up at maturity and those that open up after a fire um, tends to lean more towards these serotonous cones in parts of the pine barrens that have a high fire frequency. So an, a great example of that would be what we call the Pine Plains region. The area that bones, burns most frequently has the greatest percentage of serotonous cones. And just like you said about some of these oaks, there's all kinds of strategies that plants use. Some, some of them grow shorter and reproduce earlier Mm -hmm. in order to get uh, a generation in between some of these burns. Other species depend on re-sprouting from rootstock. Others use a seed bank. So lots of strategies for survival in this extreme environment in our native species of the region. I think it's kind of telling, too, that – and I don't think it's any accident that the Pine Barrens are uh, part of the Kirkwood-Cohansey Aquifer, which is some of the purest water in the United States. I don't think that's an accident that those two are are related. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the importance Mm -hmm. of the Pine Barrens with that aquifer? Yeah, when we think about uh, aquifer health, I tend to think of it um, in two ways. One in terms of the quality of water and another in terms of quantity. And um, the Kirkwood-Cohansey 
is what we call a surficial aquifer, so it's near the surface, which means it's susceptible to both quality degradation by things that can make their way through the soil into the aquifer, into the groundwater, and also uh, withdrawals that outpace um, the infiltration rates and, and the recharge rates of this aquifer. Um, the fact that we have this large forested area over much of this aquifer really limits um, the contamination potential of the, the groundwater and, and also the amount of withdrawals that occur. Um, but, but, but certainly, um, we do see issues on both of those fronts, even though we have so much of the pylons under this comprehensive management plan. You know, I, I'm glad the you... Other, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'd say the, uh, you know, the, the aquifer is critical for the rest of nature, but because it's also so important to human communities that rely on it for its water supply, uh, the aquifer plays a you know an important role politically in terms of conservation laws and regulations. It's one of the primary motivations that drove um, the state of New Jersey and the national government to adopt the Pinelands Protection Program. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm kind of glad you're bringing that up because one, I, I think one would think, oh, the area is protected. There's nothing to worry about. But that's not really the, the case. I mean, we, we often see the, the, the pine barrens in the news because of pipelines and things mm-hmm. like that. So you do have challenges that face, even though it's it's somewhat of a protected area, it's not carefree. What are what are some of the biggest issues that you, you face in protecting this area? Well, I think you've got to remember that New Jersey's not making any more land. You know, we're not Hawaii. <laughs> Very true. But but um, people continue to want to live here, and there is never-ending demand for land to develop. It is always cheaper to build something new on forest or farmland rather than go back and perhaps rebuild areas that have mm-hmm. been used before but have been become blighted or underutilized. So there's constant there's a constant demand by people uh, with economic ambitions of different kinds to alter the rules, to get them enforced differently because of the power that individual developers can bring. And, uh, you know, we see that every year with development proposals that do not comply with the Pinelands rules. Um, and they often, um, you know, we often have to fight over those because no matter how good a rule is, if the wrong people are implementing it, it will be implemented badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And powerful forces will have opportunities to break those rules. So that's that's why the Pinelands Preservation Alliance ex- fundamentally exists, to be a watchdog and to try to fight to keep the plan in place despite the economic pressures that will always exist to uh, manipulate or uh, avoid those rules. Mm. And it's it's something that that really hits home for me, um, just seeing things that are happening in my own town of Columbus, which is outside the Pine Barrens, but um, it's interesting you use the term blighted because that's a, a term that's come up in our local politics as a reason to uh, build or, or really develop farmland and uh a lot of people wouldn't consider farmland blighted land but under the the terms of our township they are considering it blighted land in this case um 
But you think of the Pine Barrens from someone who lives just outside of it, being myself. You don't. I don't really know many people who live there. It's not a, a place where a lot of people live. You see a lot of open space. And unlike my community where you have a lot of people who are there to raise their voice to um, our local politicians, you don't have that community base in the Pine Barrens. So I guess that's why I see it as important to have a, a volunteer organization, a nonprofit organization like yourselves that is that voice and can really um, be a powerful voice in those circles where there might not always be people living there to actually step up and, and say something. So, but Well, I, I think it's important to understand what happens in the Pinelands, to recognize that the Pinelands protection laws are written to combine conservation and growth. So within the 1.1 million area uh, acres of the Pinelands National Reserve, okay. almost a quarter of the state of New Jersey, about one-third of that area is actually designated for growth and development in pre-existing towns like Hamilton that have been around a long time for the Pinelands, and newer suburban areas like you might find in, in Hamilton Township that um, had not been developed before. So the, the plan is supposed to allow so much development as is compatible with preserving the aquifer and really big forest and wetland areas that can provide successful habitat for our native plants and wildlife. So it really is a plan that it, it aims to reconcile human uses with natural resources um, rather than to create, say, one huge national park, which mm, yeah. would not have been feasible in this yeah. case. That's pretty interesting. I, I guess, um, what are some other challenges that you guys face uh, more on a day-to-day -day basis? Ryan, why don't you talk a little bit about you know stewardship and caring for public lands? Yeah, uh, quite a bit of what we've been working on recently has been focused on, on uh, stewarding open space and, and public lands, um, finding areas where an organization like ourselves can both um, suggest priority sites for work to be done, but also then provide the person power and equipment needed to get it done. So we've done this on a couple different levels. These could be uh, rare plant occurrences that are priorities for the state that we can help monitor and then implement any habitat management that is needed. So we've already begun to do this with a couple of the state's priority species that exist mm -hmm. in the Pinelands. Nice. Uh, but we also do this in uh, habitats, critical habitats that have been impacted by anthropogenic or, or human disturbances and uh, more specifically uh, off-road vehicle use. So we've identified areas uh, in state forests that have benefited by um, blocking access to what would otherwise have been wetland areas or stream corridors um, and allowing these areas to naturally revegetate and, and documenting those changes over time. I, I think there's there's probably a, a decent group of population that kind of feels that the Pine Barrens is their personal uh dirt bike mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, tracks it was nice to see sure. uh, uh there was a post that you had where uh the, I, I guess the i don't know if it was fish and wildlife or the cops that had impounded a, a fair yeah, amount of yeah. quads and 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 bikes that were illegally riding um it was like a good was number a few, i think it was like 13 it was a, it was a month or two ago now um Right, it was uh, probably about, a, yeah, like you said, about a dozen or 13 vehicles from what I remember. Yeah, and I actually had an interesting conversation about that 
that bust, I guess you'd call it, uh, with a Fish and Wildlife agent, I think a day or two after the news story came out. And um, a guy from, from our uh, community here, doesn't live in Columbus, but right around here. And, uh, and he was basically saying, he's like, people, they don't understand that where they're riding near like all these um, rare and endangered species. They don't even know that they're there and they complain, oh, we don't have any other places to go, but they need to respect the things that are already there that we don't have much left of. Yeah. So it was, it was enlightening yeah, to see that, that what... <laughs> he was thinking the same way I was. You know, and I think it's easy for that... one to... I'm sorry, go ahead, Ryan. I'm, I apologize. I was just going to say, uh, uh, following up on, on what you were saying this time, that's, that's always uh, the biggest thing is, is uh, the education component. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, I, I think what you said is absolutely right. The, just in, in the case of a lot of people that come to visit the area, just aren't aware of the resource. Um, and then certainly, you know, even less so are aware of the rare species or critical habitat. So any opportunity we get to kind of advance that education um, is big. And, and that's a perfect example you just gave. You know, and I think a lot of the, the people coming in that are doing that are not from an area. I All right, so I grew up in Levittown, Pennsylvania, which is such a large suburb, it might as well be a city. I didn't know too many people that had dirt bikes, but anyone that did, and you'd ask them, where do you ride this? Because you can't ride it. There's, mm. There was no, everything was cement there. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. we go over the Pine Barrens, and that's where we mm-hmm. go. So they're going to an area they knew nothing about. They never had to take part of stewardship mm-hmm. because it's not part of their culture. So it was. it's easy to see them not understanding yeah. because they didn't grow up with any of that mm-hmm. like it took me a while to understand that growing up in an area that i grew up in because it was definitely more more urban mm-hmm. so um and i think one of the things that comes with that is that lack of understanding is i don't want to i'm trying to think of the right way to say this you get a lot of litter from that group as well yes. there's a lot of leftover plastic or uh i know just from walking around in my hands myself some of the crazy things I, or it was an episode or two ago i was talking about how i found a beach chair in the middle of the woods yeah <laughs> and just trees growing all around it i don't even know how it got there um that i just imagine that has to be a big issue with uh in the pine barrens as well yeah we've been talking about single source plastic yeah. a lot is is single like and and what we talked about it with with the National Aquarium, and then we saw that New York State, their Supreme Court, upheld the ban of single-use plastic bags. Is is something like that a, a huge issue in the Pine Barrens? I think that's an issue at this point statewide. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. plastic is kind of ubiquitous to where people are using or, or, or recreating. Um, you know, certainly in areas where there are a lot of people visiting the Pinelands, you do get more plastic. Um, you know, a, a big concern down the road is as this stuff starts to break down and you start getting microplastics in the water. Mm-hmm. And we have some organizations in the state that have been doing some work on that and coming up with some, uh, you know, concerning numbers in terms of the amount of microplastics we have in some of some of our, our streams and rivers in the state. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at this point, this is, this is, you know, certainly a statewide concern. And, Ryan, I just want to circle back. You mentioned stewardship. Um, I think I think it's easy to forget, like, just because something's preserved doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be looked after. It still needs stewardship. You can't say, oh, we preserved this. We'll leave it alone. It will mm-hmm. be okay. That land still has to be cared for and looked after. Um, what are some of the strategies or, or key strategies of PPA uh, going forward uh, with the with the Pine Barrens with that in mind? Uh, 
Um, the, the big well, one I'll, is, is. Oh, go ahead, Carlton. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, you know, the, the big one is is trying to work with the state on state parks and forests. Um, you know, part of it is, like I mentioned earlier, identifying areas where we think, um, you know, we can contribute and do some good work. Um, another strategy is working with them on areas that they prioritize. So that could be like on the rare species side of things. Um, but the other is kind of gets back to one of the points you were just making a little earlier, talking about, um, you know, people from out of state that come to this region to recreate because that's kind of the reputation it's received. And then there's plenty of that, right? From all, you know, all our bordering states, we get people that come down to the Pine Barrens because at this point it has that reputation as, you know, uh, an, an off-road vehicle destination. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing, a lot of our communications with the state is how, how can we help them or how can they develop the, the communications that really point people towards responsible recreation in this area? Because there's, you know, as you alluded to, people come in and they don't necessarily know about the area and they think it's, you know, it's everything's fair game. And, you know, we have a lot of areas we're trying to protect. So how do you best communicate, you know, responsible motorized access? And that's, that's been something we've been trying to work with the state on for, for some time now. And it's a large area to police. I'm sure it's almost impossible to mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep an open eye on, on – on that type of uh, activity or recreation, that's uh, that's a big piece of the puzzle for sure. Is um, you know limited resources put towards the enforcement and 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 the, the the officer power that you would need to cover such a large area. That's that's certainly a limitation. Mm-hmm. Wow. The, the state of New Jersey has notoriously devoted less budget per acre of preserved land than perhaps any other state in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been great about preserving land. We've not been very good about taking care of it. Mm-hmm. And this has been true across, you know, many, many budgets. So the, the people charged with protecting those lands, the, the staff of the parks and forests and the uh, New Jersey Park Police really don't have enough resources to do the job that they would like to do. And uh, part of part of our efforts to see how uh, – New technologies and private citizens um, can help them to be more effective to know where where to look for people who are undertaking illegal activities and how to make it simply more difficult for um, people to do inappropriate things so that eventually we change that expectation that has developed around the Pinelands as this um, sort of unprotected uh, playground for any kind of abusive vehicle use mm. or dumping that you may have in mind. You know, and I, I really feel a lot of that is education. And one of the, the things that we, and we've talked about it on the podcast, we'll have people call us saying, oh, well, I bought a beach house and the dunes were blocking my view. So we took the dunes out, but now they're making me plant stuff, but I didn't pay a million dollars for this house to not be able to see the ocean. <laughs> you know, not realizing mm-hmm. that the, the dunes are what's actually protecting their their investment. Um, and I, I and I know education is a large port, part of what the PPA does. How important is education for you and what are some of the th- things that you do to help educate? Well, we do think education is really important. People have to be aware of the value of a place before they're going to take any action to protect it. So one of the things we do is we try to take people 
into the Pine Barrens for really fun and enlightening experiences through our Pinelands Adventures program. Which I will be. That's been. Uh, I'll be taking part of that this weekend, actually. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. So, uh, Pineland, I'll make a plug for Pinelands Adventures. Uh, if you go to pinelandsadventures.org, you'll see uh, trips that we provide, uh, mostly canoeing and kayaking at the moment because of the pandemic. But when the pandemic isn't going, we also have a lot of uh, trips that are guided programs for uh, families, for individuals for schools, community service groups, and so on, and um, unguided uh, paddling trips um, as well. And, you know, the Pine Barrens is just an astonishing place if you haven't been into it before and you have an image of New Jersey as this highly industrialized and suburbanized state. So that experience can make all the difference in making people realize what a treasure we have here and and what they can do to help protect it that's a big part of our education effort and we also do a lot of um a lot of social media we do a lot of videos we've got a great videographer on our staff who has made some wonderful uh films in order to again to try to to try to communicate enough about this place and why it's so why it's so special that people will make that extra effort to get involved to volunteer to let their political representatives know they care about this place and expect them to do right by the Pinelands. I, I really feel... And one other piece to that that I'll, I'll mention real quick is um, we also host what we call a life science field training institute every summer. And um, this is kind of a teacher education program where we take science teachers from throughout South Jersey and they come down to the Pine Barrens for a week. We show them how to collect data and analyze it so that they can bring that into the classroom so that whether they have a campus that is near a forested area or if they're in an urban area, they can take their students outside, ask some cool ecological questions, collect some data, work that into their curriculum. So students are learning about the region, learning about the Pine Barrens ecology, but also learning how to do science. Um, so that's that's something I always look forward to every year, and it's been a big part of our education program as well. Those are fantastic mm-hmm. programs. Actually, my, my fiance and I are going kayaking uh, Saturday, so uh, through Pinelands Adventures. Wonderful. Yeah, so we're we're excited about that. You know, and one thing that made me think of the Pine Barrens recently, I was I was reading a book by Enge- uh, author Benjamin Vogt, and he was talking about what sold him on Nebraska when he moved there was hitting a part of the state where it was so quiet where he'd never experienced that kind of silence and darkness before. That's what I think of when you go to the Pine Barrens for New Jersey. That's like one of the few places I can think of locally where you can go somewhere and really experience silence mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and 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 darkness. It's it's not too many places locally. I think you you really get that. You can almost forget where you're at, um, and and that's something worth worth fighting for, mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. One of the things that we're proud of is that we've, uh, as representatives of Pinelands Nursery, that we've gotten to supply uh, plant material for some of your restoration uh, projects. What are what are some of what are some of the projects that you've been involved with that you're most proud of? Um, for me, uh, the first one I think about is probably. Uh, our beach project, believe it or not. Um, you know, okay. the connection there is that 
uh, Island Beach State Park is actually part of the, the National Reserve. And uh, this is a project that we partnered with Raritan Valley Community College and uh, implemented what we call compromise management strategies along the coastline of our state beaches and also municipal beaches where the beach will be open to all recreational uses, but at the foot of the dune, we have a buffer where that sand won't get raked. And essentially what that happens is it allows our native annual beach species to come in and revegetate this area, start collecting sediments and help to you know nourish and and feed the dunes that are that are on these beaches um and the reason that you know uh it's something that came to my mind is because it's a pretty simple and easy change in management but it resulted in some positive results very quickly so within the first season we're seeing a significant amount of sediment accretion you know sediment that's being collected on these beaches uh, but also these rare species that we didn't really find much at all of on our coastline because we don't have their habitat that they need started showing up within these exclosures. Some of our mm-hmm. rare beach uh, plant species, including one federal species, sea beach amaranth, and even the beach nesting birds, uh, American oyster catcher, piping plover. So it was, a, it was a, a good project in that we saw some positive results very quickly um, in what is a very cheap and easy strategy. So that, that to me is a, is a, an important one. No, those are important because the rare species are rare because you can't recreate that mm-hmm. a lot of the times in a nursery setting. We're not growing it because there's no seed source or they're almost – they need like a, a host plant or something like that. They're they're very difficult to, to reproduce. So if you can get them to reestablish themselves on their own, that's, that's a huge score. Yeah, and in this case, I mean you, we have 127 miles of coastline, but – very little of that actually functions as beach habitat because of the way we manage it. Um, and these species are tough. They're, they're, they're great dispersers. They have great seed banking ability. So all we really have to do is create the conditions for them to thrive, and then they show up on their own, and, and you can't really beat that. You know, it's one of the things that seems to be – we have many running themes throughout these podcasts, but one is always – the question always seems to get asked, is it too late? And that's a great example that it's not too late, that – <laughs> that if you do the right things, you can get the, you know, you're, you're seeing things that you thought maybe would never come back, but if the conditions were right, you, you do the right thing, and and they're starting to reestablish on their own, which is makes you feel like we can do this. And it isn't too late. Like mm-hmm. we still have the opportunity to fix some of these things. Exactly, and it and it really comes down to having an understanding of the life history trait of any given species. Um, you know, I, I feel in the state that we do a great job of documenting and tracking a lot of our rare plants. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, we don't know much about them. So if we committed just a little bit of time to learning more about these life history traits on these species, we can find some of these really simple strategies and methods to create habitat or uh, facilitate their, their growth or their survival. And then you can have some of these rebounds and, and some species come back, just like you said. I, I think that's a great point. You know, it's it's real easy to point out habitat loss, um, but a lot of it comes down to what is there the the forest health um, or the or the health of that ecosystem. So it, I, I'm really excited to know that the work that you're putting in to improve the health of those conditions, not just you know including beach conditions. And I think this is a theme for the whole state. I mean, New Jersey has an absolutely extraordinary botanical heritage because of the diversity of habitats in our small geography. 
And yeah. yet, um, we, we don't have a good, strong public consciousness of plants and their importance in the way we do, perhaps, with wildlife. Yeah. So the more that scientists, that the state agencies and uh, private plant lovers can put into raising awareness of just what an amazing heritage we have here in New Jersey, the more likely we are to be able to do these kinds of protection and restoration projects successfully. And, and it, it, I agree, and it, it tends to come back to that even when that wasn't maybe they were setting out. Like we talked to Dr. Jay Kelly from mm-hmm. uh, Raritan Valley Community College and really examining deer is like, you know, a lot of this is our forest health. What do we have to do to improve our forest health mm-hmm. to fix fix these issues? So it's it, it, it kind of all does come <laughs> come around yeah. to that. So thank you. I, I appreciate that for, for, for pointing that out. Um, one of the things can i also sure. bring oh. up a, a different an, an item that i'm i'm proud of that uh, is sort of a another another take on these issues i was just going um, to ask you that yeah please. i want <laughs> i want to bring in i want to bring in the topic of farming and agriculture because one of the things that we've been able to do at pinelands preservation alliance is um that we uh we were donated 72 acres of farmland surrounding our headquarters in southampton okay. township in vincentown by some very generous people who had inherited the land. And this is a land that had been farmed um, industrially in soy year after year for, for literally for decades. Um, and what we've been able to do is begin to transform it into a much more mixed landscape of chemi- chemical-free fruits and vegetables, but also habitat areas that serve a whole variety of purposes. They help to trap stormwater that was helped, that was flooding um, into Vincenttown Village and into the Rincocas mm-hmm. Creek system. Um, it provides pollinator habitat that supports the growing of, of you know, your food plants. Some of the perennials that we're planting are also food producing, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, shrubs, like blueberries. Awesome. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's going to be a good a good example of how people in this region, if they want to, can farm um, in chemical free ways that help rebuild soils that are being deployed through that are being uh, depleted through um, industrial uh, growing methods for the commodity market, and um, it's going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a really diverse, diverse place, a diverse habitats of, uh, you know, non-native food crops, native food crops, and other native plants that um, that help to sustain the soils, trap stormwater, and uh, really even support the, the growing of food by providing pollinator habitat. This this has actually come up on the 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 podcast before when we had Doctor Enrique mm-hmm. Sala yep. on. Um, I can't remember the name of the farm in England. Um, yeah, I don't. But I don't you, we either. have we have listeners that will be extremely interested in this. This mm-hmm. is a topic that gets talked about in our our Facebook group as well. Is there more information uh, on your website that our listeners could go to to learn more about that? Uh, yes, there is. We do have a page on the website now. Um, the website is pinelandsalliance.org, and the farm is called Rancocas Creek Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a program or an initiative of Pinelands Preservation Alliance. Um, so we we are 
ensuring that the farm is developed and managed in a way that, uh, you know, supports our mission. Um, and we've been very fortunate to be able to hire a fellow named Jeff Tober to be our yeah. farm manager, very experienced chemical-free farmer who um, is doing a phenomenal job there now. And we really hope that over the coming years, this place will become, you know, a center for learning about uh, sustainable regenerative farming. Mm -hmm. When I saw Jeff went to the Pinelands Preservation Alliance, I got a little excited. <laughs> I was curious <laughs> yeah. what his role was going to yeah. be there. So it's, yeah, I'm excited about He's this. our farm manager. Yeah. He's in charge. Yeah, he'll, you're definitely in good hands with him. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and and just the whole regenerative route, it's picking up a lot of steam, um, I think especially in this area, as a way to get away from that conventional agriculture and give a little bit back and still get maybe not as much productivity, but a lot of productivity without the damage that is associated with it. So, yeah, I, I well, this is also another, I just want to say this is another case of the kind of work where, you know, we, we, we can partner with, um, Pinelands nursery, which we always enjoy doing. Well, thank you. We, we always look forward to, to working with you. That's we, we appreciate that. <laughs> so one, one other, um, one of the other uh, highlights for your members, because uh, you do have membership, is that you do offer an annual plant sale where you make hard-to-find native plants available to homeowners. We know they don't necessarily always have the avenue for that, and that's always been a big favorite. Where we've always been happy to be able to send plant material to that. How do those sales help benefit the PPA? How, how does that event – what does that mean to you? We know what it means to the homeowners. They're just excited to be mm -hmm. able to get their hands on plant material, but what does that mean to you? How does that help you? Well, um, like you said, we, we host two plant sales a year. Um, we started out initially with just a spring plant sale, which we have usually sometime around Earth Day. Um, and then the past few years, we've expanded to also offer a fall plant sale um, because, you know, we, we know it's a good time to plant as well. And a lot of our members were uh, enthusiastic about getting some plants for their properties in the fall. Um, so for us, initially, it was uh, a way to present people native options for their properties. Um, you know, we we often hear still um, that, you know, people might want to plant natives, but there's limited options. And, and I think that argument is, is less and less true. I, I see lots of native plants available. Um, so we want to make sure people are aware of that and have access to them. Um, so it, it, that's, you know, another form of education, um, you know, the benefits of using natives, uh, some of the native species you can plant and give them a, a way to access them. Um, so it, it's been really successful in that sense and, and also as a, as a small fundraiser for us as well um, for the past few years. So uh, I think it's been uh, useful for us kind of on both fronts. Yeah, and some of these some of these uh, members live in the Pine Barrens and, and use those mm -hmm. native plants to help restore their, their properties, which is a win-win also. They do, and, uh, and we make sure, uh, you know, we, we call it a South Jersey native plant sale, and, and we'll uh, list each species whether it's a Pine Barren species, a South Jersey species, or both. So even some of our members that might be living outside of the Pine Barrens, um, you know, you have some natives that, that'll, that'll fit your, your region as well. So nice. uh, that's, that's part of the education, too, is, you know, we, we tell them what region it's native to, um, the conditions in which the plant grows. Oftentimes we'll include information on other species that it can host, some insects, or if it's a, a beneficial food crop for some birds, um, some, some of those interactions that are important to homeowners as well. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Carlton, did you have did you have something to add to that? Well, I just want to say that I think the 
the plant sale and um, the way we maintain our headquarters, creating Pinelands Adventures, uh, creating the farm, a lot of these things are about building a community of people who feel that this is an important place. And these are different ways that people can start to connect with the work we do and the, uh, you know, the ultimate mission of ensuring the Pine Barrens um, survives into the future, you know, benefit everybody and for the inherent value of the, the plants and wildlife that live there. I, yeah, I, I totally, I mean, the mission of PPA to me is very clear and precise mm-hmm. and really is the one thing I think that, that kind of keeps everyone together yeah. <laughs> for, you know, and, and rallying around it, uh, which is, it's wonderful to be a part of. It's, it's wonderful to see that community that it kind of creates around it uh, because of some of these events. Um, yeah. One of the things that, you know, just to go off topic, not really off topic, but it's funny when I talk to people that aren't from the area and they hear the New Jersey Pine Barrens, the first thing they think of is the Jersey Devil. you know which is which is folklore you know and that tends to be a common misconception of the pine barren so there are other things that people uh misperceive or there's other common misconceptions of the pine barrens for maybe people that don't know the area i think a a common misconception is is something you, you i think mentioned a little earlier is that um you know when people hear or learn that it's a national reserve they they assume one of two things, either that, you know, it's completely barren as in there's no development. And, and we certainly know that's not the case. We, we have plenty of communities here um, or they think it's completely protected. Um, yeah. And we know that that's not the case either. We, you know, we talked about some of the issues we face um, or, or try to address in the region. Um, so even though it has this um, real robust, comprehensive management plan, it's not to say that there aren't um, issues that, that we feel can be addressed and can better protect the region so i think those are two things that come to mind for me anything and i'll give an example of that i was just going to just an example that comes to mind when we're talking about protecting the region um since we're we're talking about plants are the rare plants of the pinelands um you know the the, Mm -hmm. the way the the rules are written the the only species that get protection in the pinelands region are those that are state endangered or those that fall into a specific list of rare plants that were written for the region in the 70s. Um, and there's a couple problems with that. As written, we still have over 30-plus rare species in the state that are offered no protections, even though they occur in the Pinelands region. And, you know, to be honest, in that list that was created in the 70s, there's probably some species in there that aren't as rare as they thought they were back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. There are some species that should be protected that aren't, and some that are given protections now that maybe aren't warranted. So, you know, periodic review of some of these rules and regulations are also needed to, to, to use the best information we have available. And and the acreage that's involved is a lot for any one person to really – or organization to go through and, and catalog. Like I would imagine there could be things that are there that you don't know just because you haven't found it yet. <laughs> I would I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's the case for uh, some of our rare species in the state. There, there's a whole category of uh, rare plants that we consider state historic. Um, and that's essentially where the state doesn't want to consider them extirpated or, or locally extinct, but they don't know of any current occurrences. 
Um, but there is the chance, just like you're saying, that if we put the time in to look for them, it's likely that species might still be around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's plenty of that around. One of the species that comes to mind is actually our, our guest from uh, Southeastern Grassland Initiatives. His favorite native plant at the time was uh, American chaff seed, which actually <laughs> we were on the air with him. I looked up <laughs> and I was like, oh, the like one of the only occurrences that they know of was in Chatsworth. Chatsworth. Yeah. And, um, and then when you look at the map, they said this is all potential area for it and it was a ring further than Chatsworth and I think they actually it was funny because right when we had that I hadn't heard of that plant up until he'd mentioned it a couple days later um, a, a friend of a mutual friend of ours had shared it on on Facebook uh, something in the Trentonian about how it was one of the real, really rare plants in New Jersey and rare really across the whole country and, uh, and then I saw another thing how they found another instance of it I want to say in Massachusetts just in the last month or so. So um, it was interesting seeing all that pop up. And Dr. J. Kelly was one. involved with that somehow, too, Yeah, and he had <laughs> done research. It was, yeah, it was a weird... We've As we've done more and more of these, we're finding that all these organizations we're talking to are connected in one way or another. Yeah, Dr. J. Kelly had done research on this plant back in... Uh, when he was a grad student, yeah. I think, in the early 2000s. So um, it was just something kind of interesting. Yeah. So speaking of education and stewardship, um, you recently hosted a Zoom event about creating an inclusive nature. Could, can, can you talk to us a little bit about what that event was? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll speak to that. Um, like a lot of organizations and businesses and individuals across the country, uh, the crew at PPA has also been trying to think hard about racial justice and social justice issues um, more than perhaps we haven't had in the past and wanting to to do better to be part of a solution rather than a part of the problem. One of the things that we perceive is that um, the Pinelands as a, let's say as a movement um, in terms of the people who support PPA, the staff at PPA, um, and a lot, uh, so, you know, a strong majority of the people who enjoy the Pinelands for recreation, mm-hmm. it's a pretty homogenous group. Yeah. And we began to ask, why is that? And so we were interested in hearing um, from an expert and having some conversation about what obstacles might exist to uh, people who are black or Latino or Asian to using and enjoying the Pinelands as a recreation resource as much as as um, as they could. So we invited um, Lamar Gore, who is the refuge manager of the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge okay. in South Philly, um, who has really worked on these issues a lot in his role with the National Park Service. We had a you know, we had a great great discussion um, about about this subject um, and. I think we, you know, we began to learn about some things that Pinelands Preservation Alliance and our supporters can do to make sure that we can, you know, we can get everybody who might care about the Pinelands involved. You know, I, I feel strongly that any environmental protection movement has to be representative of the communities that that it is serving. Um, Partly because uh, that's where political power comes from. And if you want to save a place, you've got to have political power. So the more people who are involved, the more diverse diversity you can bring into your movement, the stronger your movement will be. 
and, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, see, how, how do we communicate more effectively with every neighborhood in the region, you know, in the Pinelands and beyond, so people know what great resources are here? How do we provide guided trips for people who are not yet comfortable exploring in the woods on their own? Um, how do we advertise in a way that makes clear you can be comfortable here, even if you maybe didn't think you could be? Yeah. The, I, and I that's, think that, that's what we're trying to accomplish there. I, I think the the best first step was was just talking about it and and bringing light to it, which yeah. which I think was fantastic. Is is that Zoom conference available still? If anyone wanted to go back and watch that, is it somewhere on your website or something they can pay for to watch, or is it available at all? It's uh, yeah, it's available on our website for free. Okay. Uh, to to review, and we also I think have included a. A, a survey um, so that mm-hmm. we're trying to you know, get ideas from people who weren't able to participate in that particular conversation um, to uh, to get involved and let us know what you think. That's wonderful. And I mean, I'm just trying to look. And, and this is a common topic across mm-hmm. the board. Um, you know, we're hoping to yes. have on in the future um, someone from the Discovery Center at Fairmount Park because I know when they were building that, they were like, we just mm-hmm. don't want people from the outside coming in to enjoy this. We would like the community to embrace this. And how can we get the community involved? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and who can we partner with to make sure that this is all inclusive for everyone and everyone can be a part of it? Um, and, and that's something we would love to – to discuss yeah. and, and, and it's we've we talked about it with Kathy Salisbury as well it's um there's a, a missing piece to uh enjoying the outdoors and it wasn't always that way we because we first got to identify how it became that way right. and then how we can make it inclusive again yeah and um so we we're really glad to see that you guys were doing it it's something we want to we want to talk about as well because if you aren't talking about it, nothing's going to happen. Exactly. And, uh, I don't. We're definitely not experts, but um, but we want to talk wanna, about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We want to talk about. It. Can I? Can I ask both of you, starting with Carlton, just how your paths led to the Pinelands Preservation Alliance? How you ended up? I, I always love hearing how how people ended up. That always seemed like a great fit for yeah. for, <laughs> yeah. for their jobs. How you got there? Well, I've been doing it longer than Ryan. Um, I'm in my 23rd year at Pinelands Preservation Alliance, wow. and my path was a little unusual. I'm a lawyer by training, okay. although I'm no longer practicing law, and I'm not mem- a member of any bar. But um, I went after law school to work at a big corporate law firm, okay. uh, a Wall Street firm, and I was working in the Washington, D.C. office. And, you know, it was a, it was a great job in many ways. It paid really well. It you know, you get really great training because you work very intensively with very high expectations. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was good in many ways, had great friends and colleagues. But in the end, I decided it was not um, the way I want to spend my entire career, um, having represented big corporations and mostly fighting the government, sometimes fighting one another, um, and began and just asked myself, you know, what what really gets me going and it was always the the environment so i started looking for a job in environmental protection work for, for a nonprofit, and eventually was fortunate to find uh, pinelands preservation alliance and they were 
uh, open-minded enough to take a flyer on a corporate lawyer uh, to come in and, and run the organization. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, it's worked out well for me, and I hope that people involved with PBA feel it's worked out well for the organization. I, I, I think it's worked out well for everyone. Yeah, and I would probably say that's – and then you look at a lot of these organizations where they are taking on legal battles, but they don't have that legal background. So it probably yeah. was a, a great fit in that regard. And 23 years later, here we yeah. are, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah. just funny that that wasn't your initial path, but it still led you to something that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. And I, I love those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Ryan, how about how about you? How did you end up at, at PPA? Yeah, um, I, I think my fit here was really due to my research background and being uh, pretty familiar with the Pine Barrens coming in. Um, you know, I'm originally from Union County, uh, so North Jersey. And I really had no experience with the Pine Barrens until I was an undergrad at Rutgers. Um, but around that time, I started working with uh, a lab and a grad student uh, collecting data on small mammals in the Franklin Park Preserve. Okay. I think maybe just a few years after they acquired the land. Um, and that kind of introduced me to the area and, and certainly led me to want to go and get a graduate degree studying ecology in the Pine Barrens. I thought there were a lot of interesting ecological questions you, ha- you can ask. Um, so I found that Drexel, right across the river in Philly, uh, had a Pinelands Research Lab. Um, so I went, I, I did my PhD there studying uh, population dynamics of Pine Barren gentian. And um, so, you know, just in, in meeting people and doing work in the region, I not only got familiar with the Pine Barrens, but I got familiar with what PPA was doing in the area. Um, and it just so happened timing wise that there was an opening for this position right around the time I was looking to defend my thesis. Um, so there was actually a little bit of an overlap. I actually got hired and started about two months before I defended my thesis. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, the timing was perfect. Um, it's, it'll be six years in January now. Has it been um, that so, long already? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, didn't... <laughs> yeah, it has. It's, it's, it's flown by. <laughs> Almost six years. It's it's a perfect fit. We 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 love working with you. I guess they, so, so we are so fortunate. I you know, say Pineland's Preservation Alliance is just so fortunate to have someone of Ryan's um, you know expertise and and level of training uh, working in our small nonprofit because um, it's pretty unusual. And if you're going to be if you're going to be good at this, if you're going to be good at protecting resources, you got to have people with the the scientific knowledge and the bent of mind that Ryan brings. Yes, yes, and and you know we can we, we we sing the praises of many of your employees. So it just it's one of those organizations that just seems to pull the right people in mm-hmm. with the with the, the right skill set that are that are great people, like great person people. Well, I'll, <laughs> great. I'll take all the credit for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> One one of the things we wanted to ask is, and and I know it's it's a little bit different in it now, but how has the the pandemic kind of uh, affected the work that you do at PPA? I know we're at a point where things are starting to loosen up a little bit and open up, but I'm sure at the time of the year that it happened, it had to have greatly affected some of the work that you do. It has. Um, I think that. Um, we've been able to work pretty effectively as advocates because everybody is in the same boat. Okay. And in some ways getting, you know, getting meetings with government officials can be a little easier when everyone realizes, Oh God, we don't have to, you know, 
all meet in Trenton and find a room to, to meet in, but we can do it. Uh, we can do it using video conferencing. Yeah. Um, in in those ways, I think it has it's been okay. People have adjusted pretty well. Some issues like public hearings, um, they are not the same, and they are not as good not being able to be in person. Yeah. Issues like getting documents from government agencies have been much more has been much more difficult because of having. Uh, lower staff levels at the gover- at the state government level uh, due to furloughs and people not being in the office, that kind of thing. Uh, so far, our organizational supporters have stuck with us, uh, for which we are incredibly and deeply grateful, and we hope that that will continue. I, I think that, uh, you know, a big factor has simply been the difficulty of maintaining relationships with people when you can't meet in person and go out and do stuff in person. So when Pineland Adventures had to stay shut for months when it would have been taking people on canoe trips, that was a problem. Uh, now they're able to operate, but at a, re- at a reduced volume, but still able to operate. And just simply the ability, you know, to meet among your staff, among your um your supporters and your and your partners, it's hard because you just don't have the same kind of interactions over the phone and video conferencing as you do when you're in a room together and able to, you know, shake hands and sit down and talk. I, yeah, you know, when, when we started doing this podcast, our whole goal was to have everyone in person because it's, it's definitely a different dynamic when you're all sitting around mm-hmm. a table having the conversation, you know, and and being in sales myself, it's hard when you're not getting that face-to-face interaction, but we just started finding like customers would call us and we would call customers just to see how they were. <laughs> not even we didn't yeah. have any, you know, means of business just like, "Hey, how are you faring? How how are you doing?" Um it, it really put a different light on everything for us, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Um you know, it's the one thing I'm hopeful for and 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 hopefully you'll see it directly is that I know for, for me personally, as this happened, I definitely had a reconnection with nature. And I think a lot more people, I know garden center sales boomed, um, with people going out and reconnecting with nature. And I'm hoping that continues and even grows that we'll see a larger connect with more people involved, uh, going forward. Like I'm hoping you see a difference just Mm -hmm. with, with how people want to be stewards or get involved to help or, or take part. Um, you know, I think for me, one of the things I'm scared of, you know, like you mentioned, like real estate, like we're starting to see like in our area a boom because people are moving out of the city because they're they're scared of COVID-19 issues and like the house, the, the housing market around us, the prices are skyrocketing and, and houses are selling in the first day above mm-hmm. asking price. And I'm I'm worried that the demand will start be to building yeah. more houses too and put more of a threat on these things. So I, you know, I, I definitely see the positive and I worry about some of the possible negatives. I don't know if you're seeing any of those. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, since 2008, when the housing market really kind of collapsed during the great recession, there's been much less pressure for housing, new housing developments on farm fields and in forested areas. But, um, I'm also beginning to see right around the edges of the Pinelands um, and some actually inside the Pinelands developments that have been put on hold for years are, are starting to uh, build and sell houses again. So mm, gotcha. I do expect us to get back to, you know, high pressure uh, on land 
in the coming years. Well, hopefully you'll have more That's my experience. Is it? I was just going to say that's my experience here in, in Gloucester County, similar situation with uh, developments that have been put off and, and now or in the past year or so have been going going through. And, um, you know, you got to believe that's probably going to be the case, you know, in, in the long term uh, when we eventually hit a situation where, you know, some people might be wanting to move away from the coast and, uh, you know, Pinelands might be yeah. a... Uh, an option for people that are going to want to try to, to, to stay in South Jersey and uh, try to build. So I, I think that pressure may continue. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping enough people can reconnect it with nature that you have those supporters to help mm-hmm. fend some of that off. Um, and, and speaking of supporters, how how can our listeners – one of the, the, the main reasons we had you on was we want people to to be more passionate about this area and get involved. How can our listeners get involved and help? What are some of the ways they can do? We've, we've got a few ways to do that. Um, one way uh, is to be a donor. We are a charitable tax-exempt organization that relies entirely on um, people's uh, donations and, and grants that we receive, so businesses and individuals can support our work. We also have a lot of volunteer opportunities. Okay. Um, even during the pandemic, we have some volunteer opportunities, and when there isn't a pandemic, we have even more. So that can be um, helping on stewardship projects uh, that we do out in the forest um, and helping with our uh, uh, events and with office activities. There's all kinds of ways people you know, can get involved. Um, you can come and help harvest uh, food uh, at the farm, for example. Oh, okay. It's another option. That's an option that's available today. <laughs> so you can go there tomorrow to help out. <laughs> So volunteering is another way. And then the, the last way, which is in, in some ways the most important, is to be a bit of an activist. Um, you know, get involved in, in an issue or um, look up what things we're working on and what things really uh, strike you as most important. Contact your uh, legislators, the governor, uh, your your local officials, and, and let them know what you think about protecting the pinelands that's probably the single most important thing anyone can do one of the things before and a good way to get caught up to speed on those issues would be uh you know join our email list mm-hmm. um check our website out and um you know if you become a member you get our newsletter so that, that that'll you know raise awareness of some of the key issues we're working on and there's a lot of great things i just happened to see the other day on social media and it it was i i knew both parties involved but didn't know what was going on i saw that I, I think in some way PPA helped. It was uh, gleaning food off of a farm, and it was Gower's uh, Gower's Nursery in Vincenttown and Pemberton. Um, that, yeah. that mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm friend. I used to work with him, and then I saw PPA was involved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This is fabulous! Why, I wish I would have known about this. I would have came out and helped." But I know they were. I, I think Tim was saying it was like 150 families were helped uh, with that food or something wow. like that at the at the local food bank, which was wonderful. Right. And the farm has actually been able to make uh, uh, several thousand pounds of donations to uh, soup kitchens and food banks in this first season. Wow. Um, so that's been a really, really nice community connection also, especially during the pandemic when um, the demand by families that were really in need of food uh, has has grown mm-hmm. great a great deal for the organizations that are out there helping those families. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know we're just about out of time here, so we got to end with with our last two things. And the first one is, what is your favorite native plant? That's easy for me. Mine? Um, That's easy for me, too. What do you think? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's hear I'll go. I'll go ahead. Um, so for me, pine barren gentian. I mean, it's the species oh. I studied. It's the species I know best. And uh, you know, you couldn't have picked a better time to ask me that question because we are kind of in peak flowering for the species. You know, third week of September, I always say is is, is peak time to see this species blooming. Um, so it's you know, it's a it's a cool species to see in the fall. Um, you know, when when most of what we have going on and blooming are golden rod and asters, it's nice to see this little blue plant uh, mm-hmm. where they occur. But that that's my favorite. I have never seen it. In the wild, I have to say, I'm hoping I see it this oh, weekend. Well, you got to come we gotta down. Change that. And, <laughs> <laughs> we can right. change that. All right. Yeah, I need to fix that. All right, Carlton, what is yours? So mine is bog asphodel. Oh. Uh, beautiful blue, uh, beautiful blue, beautiful, beautiful yellow flower, <laughs> golden flower uh, that grows in bogs. And, you know, part of, in addition to it being a beautiful plant, part of what I love about it is that it tells the pineland story. Bog asphodel was once common on the East Coast in these boggy areas and is now considered to be completely extirpated, totally wiped out, except in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, so where, where it is locally quite abundant. So, wow. you know, we have provided a haven for a species that, if it is lost here, will be lost from the earth. And I think that just captures part of what motivates me every day. Wow. That's a great choice. I love the choices on yeah. this. We should oh, put yeah. together a list of And this was the first time where they said, Oh, that's really easy. That's easy. And then everyone, they both said, yes. Everyone yeah. else was like, Oh, that's really hard. But, I would love to put a list together, compile should, a list yeah. of what some of the favorite native plants that our mm-hmm. our guests have said. So and then the last thing we give uh, every guest the opportunity to do is give out one last final thought, something that you wanted to touch on and we didn't have time to. Um or just something you want to promote, just one last thing to get out there for the people to consume. Yes. Ryan, why don't you go first? I'd say, um, you know, if you're a PPA member or interested in becoming a member, check out our site and check out our um, our plant sale that Pinelands Direct is going to help us out with starting next week. Um, you know, that gets to some of the things we talked about today, including natives into your landscape, natives that are appropriate for this part of Jersey, um, so keep an eye out for that. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are already excited about it. So thank mm-hmm. you for helping us out again with this plant sale. Uh, we, we, we hope it's a huge success yeah. for you. And for me, I would say, uh, take these next five or six weeks and find a way to get out into the Pine Barrens. Mm-hmm. If you don't know where to go or how to do it, um, get in touch with with us at Pinelands Preservation Alliance or at Pinelands Adventures, and we'll help you out with information and ideas. Um, but any way you can get out, because this is the most beautiful time of the year. It, it is a great time to mm. do it. That's why I'm doing it this weekend. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brian, how about you? All right, I'll go. All right. So my my final thought is: be curious. Um, mm. Ask questions and be curious. We you just heard a lot of great things happening locally and even you can look at it on a national scale um get involved be passionate and just it it doesn't have to necessarily be with ppa any of the organizations that we've talked to pick one be passionate about something and just 
ask questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Learn. I'm, I'm, we're hoping that you learned a lot today that you didn't know the PPA even did. So just be curious and get involved and be part of it. And I, I, I think you'll find it addictive. Yep. <laughs> That's mine. Tom, go ahead. Uh, my, I'm going to reiterate Ryan's point. So Pinelands Direct is a company my wife and I own. And back in, I guess, April, um, when I figured that PPA wouldn't be able to hold their in-person sale, I said, well, we, I have the platform. We're going after the same plant base. Um, why don't we just shift it on there? And I think we we basically donated all the profits we would have made right to PPA, and it ended up being over like $10,000, Wow! I think. Wow, so my goal awesome. is, to, is awesome. to beat that this fall all right. that's ambitious but uh in the spring it was that's I, great you guys told me you usually get like 150 100 150 customers and then i got like 400 and that was at the beginning of covid times and i was a one-man team so it took like took me like a month i was overwhelmed it took me a month to get through it but now i know what i'm doing all right let's so. let's see how crazy we can get yeah. tom yeah. <laughs> make sure you, you send this <laughs> that's wonderful yeah but yeah that's the goal is to to match what we did in the, the spring and it even if it's three quarters of that or half of that that's still a sizable donation going to you guys and it's uh we're happy to help help you guys out in that regard and and get people plants that's the the main goal is getting the plants in people's hands so they can learn more about them and for the homeowners that say they they're disappointed that they can't get their hands on plants from pinelands nursery this is Mm -hmm. your your opportunity to do that so so and with that so that really wraps us up so uh we want to thank you guys again for joining us today we hope you enjoyed listening all about the pinelands and, and pinelands preservation alliance Make sure you follow them at www.pinelandsalliance.org. On Facebook, it's just at Pinelands. We, we should have gotten that. We Where couldn't. We? It was already taken. <laughs> uh, you can follow them on Twitter at, at Pines Alliance. Instagram is at Pinelands Alliance. And YouTube is at Pinelands Alliance as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I'd like to give a big shout-out to Stephen Marr for contributing our theme music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ. Instagram at Pinelands Nursery and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We now have a question and answer line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. You can leave a comment or ask a question. And if we pick your question or comment, we'll play it on the air and answer it on a future uh, podcast. Um, Let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Love all the conversations we've been having there. And uh, I'd love to keep it going. All right. You can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, five-star reviews. We love them. Only five-star. They're, they're the best. They're the only kind of <laughs> so reviews there are. You can also listen on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast. We're just about everywhere now. Even ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Yes. Thanks again, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Uh, Carlton and Ryan, thank you again so much uh, for taking time thank out you. today. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, we thank appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.